0: So, Mark. Yeah? About 90 minutes into this week's movie.
1: <laughs> so good halfway through.
0: Yeah, right around there. That's like, you know, speaking of, we're talking Scorsese, I just remember when The Irishman premiered at the New York Film Festival, and some of the critics were like, it takes about 90 minutes to get going, but once you're there, it's really singing. And some people were like, oh, so it takes a movie to get going. <laughs> A take that I fully disagree with because I think the Irishman rules from start to finish.
1: When I sat down to watch this, I told Nick how long it was and he was like, why is it so long? And my only response I could think of is, Martin Scorsese's not exactly known for his brevity.
0: No. So anyway, about 90 minutes into this movie, I wrote in my notebook, just all caps, WAIT, and then underneath it, like, kind of exasperated after having largely enjoyed it up to that point, just... Is the premise of this movie that Jimmy and Francine wrote the song New York, New York? Because I'm thinking, like, that's kind of dumb. Like, you chose a well-known song and you're like, these fictional people wrote it. And you're doing, like, a whole, I don't know, Knights Templar secret treasure map on the back of it, whatever. And then I watched them continue to write this well-known song. And after about like 30 minutes, I finally was like, all right, forget it. And I pull out my phone and that's when I discovered that Start Spreading the News, I'm Going to New York, New York, is from this movie. Like, the movie is them writing the song, but it's an original song.
1: Yeah, that uh, official name for the song is Theme from New York, New York, which I I also did not know.
0: Yeah. So in the spirit of that, I was wondering, like, what's a song That's from a movie and you knew the song, but you didn't know it was from the movie until you watched it.
1: One of the ones that I still haven't seen the movie, but when I found it out was the biggest surprise is Staying Alive by the Bee Gees was written for Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Which honestly was a big surprise to me.
0: We should watch that movie.
1: We should. I think it's kind of,
0: I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I'm I know nothing about it except that, you know, it starred John Travolta and the soundtrack was a huge hit.
1: Yeah. Um
0: ba-ba-ba-ba. I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean, I
1: think I was too old before I had gotten to seeing The Graduate sure. with Mrs. Robinson. I think that would have blown
0: my mind when I was a kid. <laughs> sure. But know. perhaps you should not have been watching the Graduate. Also, as a child, no, I yeah, I think that's fair. You know, for me, yeah. there's the fact that I grew up. Anytime I didn't know what to do, I would just think about what happens when you get caught between the moon and New <laughs> York City. I hate you. Here's sh- the crazy thing, Mark. With Arthur and New York, New York, we have covered two Liza Minnelli movies with hit songs about New York City.
1: That. <laughs> Is genuinely ridiculous.
0: You could make one of those ultra-specific letterboxd lists.
1: I mean, there's probably more, honestly. There's gotta be at
0: least one more.
1: There's gotta be. She loves movies about New York.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Minnelli's, my real answer to this question is, have yourself a merry little Christmas.
1: Yes. That, that's a real... That, I was also surprised by...
0: I first got to know that one from Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, the 70s Sesame Street TV special, which is all on YouTube and very lovely. Uh, Bert and Ernie have the B-plot, which is them doing basically the gift of the Magi for each other. And then... After they have their realization, it has a nice ending because Mr. Hooper comes and gives them back both of the things that they sold. And then they all sing, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was very nice. And then years later, I watched Meet Me in St. Louis and we're like, oh, okay.
1: Oh, another one was the first time I came across the song People from Funny Girl. Because I think I first heard it as a kid as like an offhanded joke because that song gets made fun of a lot. I think like in another musical, maybe and then I came across it in Funny Girl when I first watched it a while ago and was like, oh, okay, that's from this. People who need people are the luckiest
0: people in the world. I don't really know what that means. Speaking of Barbara, since we talked about Barbara Streisand's Underground Ball on this podcast, yes. I have heard not one, but three other podcasts have extended conversations about it. It's just
1: a fascinating thing that exists, and it's worth discussing. The people need to be reminded. I want Barbara to
0: have a long life going forward. But, as soon as she dies, a movie about that mall needs to be put into development.
1: I want to work in that mall so badly, because I think it would be the most bizarre
0: experience of your life so there's a one man show a play called buyer and seller seller with a c that is this dude who works in Barbra Streisand's mall it's you know just a, a one actor play and every once in a while i used at my old school i used to coach the speech the speech and debate team and like kids in the speech world would show up and be like i want to do buyer and seller for my spe- like 10 minute monologue and it's always kids who for whatever reason have strong feelings about Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and the other students who watch them perform usually do not because it is 2021.
1: I do want to read the script for this at least.
0: Again, I have only ever seen it done by a very particular type of teenager.
1: Yeah, I can imagine it's probably better in performed by a professional.
0: Look, I could only imagine so. I have heard good things about the original version.
1: At the same time, let us remember, it is still a one-man show. <laughs> <laughs> if I learned
0: anything from the Big Sick, the bar for those is set pretty low. That's such a good example of like there was a like a four-year period where I felt like everything I was watching had like a a strong bit about dumb one-man shows. Transparent had a really funny one in its second season too, where Judith Light was developing like this whole show about how. Her former spouse coming out as trans was like her coming out as herself.
1: <laughs> I remember that. Oh my god. One person show jokes always land.
0: They're always funny.
1: Because the difficult people show from Hulu, honestly underrated TV show. Gone before its time. Her mother, played by Andrea Martin, has a one woman strong well. star. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Andrea Martin one-man show I'm sold <laughs> yeah have you not watched it I have not oh it's very funny
1: Julie Klausner and Billy Eichner as just terrible people in New York and her
0: mom is played by Andrea Martin I mean Karina Longworth told me it's just one of the funniest shows of the last 10 years <laughs> does she Did say- <laughs> does she say that Julie Klosner was one of the voices in the Hedda Hopper miniseries. Oh, right. That is
1: correct. I mean, she's not wrong. If you haven't watched it and you're looking for just a comedy about terrible people, that's definitely up there.
0: That's good to know, because I'm about to finish What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Uh,
1: It should have had at least three more seasons. Gabourey Sidibe plays the... Owner of the cafe where Billy Eichner is a waiter, and she is very mean, and it is very funny. All right,
0: like I said, you're selling me on this. Wow. Okay. Well, I could talk about difficult people all day. So, and we're gonna talk about two difficult people on this episode.
1: Extremely true.
0: Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay, and I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense?
1: And I think this movie gives a pretty definitive answer, maybe industry-wide, about whether these people are dateable
0: or even (laughs) likable. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. You know, what's fun is, like, what I kind of like about this movie is the movie itself is, like, shouting at you, like, of course Hollywood romance doesn't make any sense! Have you watched
1: any of these movies? I know. Like, if there was a movie that was making the same commentary that our podcasts exists to make, it is this one. Yeah, so Marty,
0: come on the show. <laughs> we we should have Marty come here to talk about Turbo.
1: I would love to discuss this movie with Martin Scorsese. And by that, I mean, I would love to discuss the time he <laughs> yes. was sleeping with Liza Minnelli oh. at the same time that she was sleeping with Mikhail Baryshnikov.
0: So that's like right around this time. Like- I, I- I kind of figured. He starts sleeping with Liza Minnelli during production of this movie. It's like in the months after it comes out that she starts sleeping with Baryshnikov instead.
1: I think she's still married to her gay husband at that point as well. Have you read her interview in The Advocate or at least heard the famous line from it? I don't think so. She's talking about the end of her first marriage. And she just goes, well, apparently I was the only one who didn't know. And one thing I learned from that marriage, I will never walk into a door unannounced again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we haven't said it outright, although we've circled around it a bunch and named the song. So we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 1977 musical, New York, New York, from which the song theme from New York, New York comes, believe it or not. Which
1: is different from the song New York, New York from the musical starring Gene Kelly.
0: Which is what you thought we were covering when I put this on the schedule.
1: Yes, because when you said it was long, also I assume that movie's probably very long as well. No,
0: it's quite a bit shorter than this.
1: On the Town, is that what it's called? Yeah, it's a good movie. Those Golden Age musicals are either like 80 minutes or 300 minutes and nothing in the middle.
0: I actually hadn't seen On the Town until this past summer. My mom and my sister and I drove up to Albany to like visit the state house and tour some national parks because that's what we do over the summer. And they were showing on the town on like a big inflatable screen on the lawn of the state house in Albany. And so we just like, you know, got to like pull out a picnic blanket and watch it. And it was a pretty great time. That sounds very
1: fun. And I'm kind of surprised that Albany was willing to play a very pro New York City
0: movie. <laughs> well, Cuomo was out of town.
1: Uh, Yeah, so, uh, this is not the same movie, I learned, and I'm glad Will told me before I watched On the Town.
0: I recommend it. On the Town does feature Frank Sinatra, who famously sang Theme from New York, New York.
1: Right, his version, almost as, if not more famous than Liza's. So, I am curious about your overall feeling about this
0: movie. I've been, like, thinking about it for days since I watched it, and I wish that I just outright loved this movie. I do think it it by far ends on its strongest foot with basically like a 25-minute Liza Minnelli spectacular. That's just unbelievable.
1: And that, yeah, the end of this movie, phenomenal.
0: And it's the thing of like, I understand what it's doing throughout where like it is built like a golden age Hollywood musical like the ones that Judy Garland did. But like, what if you actually reckoned with the fact that these people are, especially the man, are often terrible to one another. But... I think that it's a little too punishing in that. Like, we reach a point where, like, we got it. Jimmy's not a good dude. And the movie just keeps finding new opportunities to do that. And I think a part of that is that this production was kind of a nightmare. Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. We're doing a lot of improv that created problems where, like, they would improvise stuff that Scorsese decided to keep, but then that didn't match up. So they're, like, constantly rewriting the script, having to make up new scenes to match the stuff that they made up. Scorsese's doing a ton of cocaine. So, like, the production was not really set up to be a great movie. I do think it's a really good-looking movie. There are a lot of stylistic choices that I really like, but it's a movie that I ultimately feel like I more appreciate than can love.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed a lot of elements of this movie. I was trying to think of how you could make it great, and it was kind of hard because the elements are there. But also, one kind of confusing thing, especially when he was wearing the Hawaiian
0: shirt. (laughs) Which is great. Which is great. The Hawaiian shirt that is Empire State Building themed, to be clear. It is not like flowers. Yes. It just has pictures of the Empire State Building all over.
1: But at that point, it felt like I was watching a movie set in the 40s, but Robert De Niro was acting like a gritty 1970s movie set in the
0: 1970s. Yeah, De Niro is like fully in his 70s mode for a lot of this.
1: And it really, that also threw me off because Liza is capturing
0: the era very well. Yes, I think they're both good, but Liza is clearly the stronger performance.
1: And I think part of that is just because Jimmy had no redeeming qualities. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Which, like, there's a part of it that I like. There's a part of that that I like where it's saying, like, in a lot of these musicals, the dudes kind of suck, but they sing their way to a marriage. Or, like, it's Carousel and you've got Billy Bigelow who dies and, like, is a terrible person and abuses his wife. But then, like, after he's dead, he gets to look down from heaven and sing, You'll Never Walk Alone. And it's like, oh, well, maybe he's all right. Like, New York, New York is not giving you any of that. It's like, Jimmy sucks, and he's going to suck for the whole movie. Right. He'll eventually become more successful, but he has to be alone for it.
1: And I assume he still sucks, even with his new club. The The only, like, moment where he's not terrible is when he talks to his son that he abandoned on the day of the child's birth at the end of the movie. It was a pleasant surprise that
0: they like clearly have a real relationship.
1: (laughs) Right. Because they act like this is the first time they've seen each other. But the kid and Jimmy seem to know each other. I
0: think it's the first time they've seen each other like since her album came out.
1: Okay. It's definitely been a while. Yeah. But... Jimmy knows his son, and his son knows him, which was, I, I assumed, going into that, that it would be the first time they met, where Jimmy Sr.
0: would have to be like,
1: I'm your dad. And then
0: Jimmy Jr. would be, like, dancing his way across the room. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, you know, this movie was kind of a mess in its production. Scorsese was very deliberately trying to do something different. It's his sixth movie... It's his fourth one since he stopped doing, like, Roger Corman stuff. Up to this point, he's done Mean Streets. Alice doesn't live here anymore. This is, like, the year after Taxi Driver. And so he's like, I want to do something that's getting away from the gritty realism. Like, I want to show I could do something different. I don't know that he entirely succeeded, because what he did was make a gritty, realistic <laughs> Golden Age musical. But, Mark, like, where are you on Scorsese?
1: I have not actually seen that many Scorsese movies. I need to pull up a list of his movies. There's so many of them.
0: I mean, that's what's fun about him is there's always yes. more and and they're different. are certainly much more than like Marvel nerds on Twitter give him credit for. Yeah. I've seen
1: Cape Fear. I've seen Goodfellas. And now I have seen New York, New York. All right. I'm
0: now realizing
1: I should watch more Martin Scorsese movies. You should.
0: Um, I also should watch more. I mean, I have seen more than you, but still have plenty to go. I did Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore with the Film Criticism Club I ran at my last school. That's a cool one that I think you would probably dig.
1: I'm tending to stray away from the dramas recently, as you know. So Scorsese is going to be a gotta put on my big boy pants and sit down.
0: Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is pretty funny. Like, it it is not, you know, Mean Streets or Taxi Driver.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to know.
0: I watched it on Hoopla. It's probably still there.
1: Hoopla? You know, I have not checked in on Canopy in a while. I wonder what's going on there.
0: I think, I mean, like you, I have not seen enough Scorsese, but I've generally loved the stuff I've seen. I think the funniest thing just about me with Scorsese is that this is both ridiculous and going to be kind of unsurprising for a lot of people who know me. The first Scorsese I ever saw was Silence in theaters.
1: Which I'm sure you enjoyed.
0: I did. I came out of it and I was like, I'm so glad I saw that. Maybe I'll never watch it again. I'm now at a point where I'm like, I might be ready to watch Silence. You know, the punishing movie about 17th century Jesuits in Tokugawa era Japan.
1: I feel like you could also
0: watch other things. I could. That's true. Rather than subject yourself to that again. Yeah, if I want to see Scorsese stuff for a second time, I could watch Shark Tale again. Oh, how could I forget that Scorsese that I have seen? I mean that's the real thing. Where like if Scorsese were on this podcast, we would spend fifty percent of the time talking Shark Tale. That is
1: very true. Marty, give us a call. You can find our number
0: in the phone book. Yeah, our number is eight seven seven love love. That's eight seven seven love love to uh, call us and join the show. One of them is spelled L O V E. One of them is spelled L U V. You have to guess which is which. I mean, it's not that hard. You just try two numbers. Yeah. So, this movie's coming out, like I said, Scorsese is really taken off. Uh, He's coming a year after Taxi Driver, which got De Niro an Oscar nomination. The two of them had worked together on both Taxi Driver and Mean Streets at this point. De Niro already has one Oscar for The Godfather, Liza has her Oscar for Cabaret. Like, this is a big collaboration.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think even then, if not more so, that getting Minnelli and De Niro is no mean feat. Yeah. This movie really. Bringing attention to the Italian-American community, huh? Scorsese, De Niro, Minnelli. I love it.
0: Uh, for Christmas last year, my sister gave me the Criterion Blu-ray of Martin Scorsese shorts. And the first time I was able to like visit my grandparents in their apartment after we were all vaccinated... I brought it over, and we all watched the documentary Italian-American, which is, it's like 45 minutes, and it's just Marty talking to his parents about growing up Italian-American in New York City. And my grandma grew up in the Italian community here in D.C., and so we put it on, and she just spent the whole time nodding. Is 45 minutes really a short? According to the Academy, no, because the Academy's cutoff is 40 minutes. But it is too short to justify putting it on its own disc. I mean, yes.
1: But it's just an episode of television. All right. I mean, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> I was watching this movie and I did say to Nick that if this was made today, it would be a prestige HBO miniseries. Absolutely. It would be like Fossey Verdon. Right. It would be very much a big celebrity name. Like, you have six episodes, they meet, you know, they travel. They get married, they fight the future. Yeah. Instead, we got this cool movie. Yeah. And hopefully one of them is just happy endings.
0: (laughs) Just a whole episode. You know. That scene is so good. The theatrical version barely had any of that in it.
1: I read that, and I think that's why the movie failed.
0: I don't think that's true, but I think it certainly didn't help. I think you end this movie feeling better than you do at any point previously, because it ends on its strongest foot. Right.
1: I mean, she's just Liza Minnelli, so of course her being in a movie musical that includes a movie musical that also includes a movie
0: musical is gonna be great. You know, I wrote down in my notes. I think Happy Endings looks like a terrible movie, awful. But the like supercut of all the best parts of Happy Endings that we get to watch is awesome.
1: Right, it's a great musical number. I can't imagine how much more would be
0: in the movie. That was the one where, you know, and you get nothing by, like, arguing with effectively imaginary people on the internet. But I was watching the ending of that where she's, like, coming down the red stairs. And I was just like, all those stinking Marvel nerds just need to watch the last 25 minutes of New York, New York, and then they can shut up forever.
1: (sighs) They would hate it, though.
0: I know. Marvel should make a musical.
1: I mean, we should just have more musicals
0: in general. Yeah, like they should make like a She-Hulk musical. It would be great. That's what they should do. I hope that that Disney Plus show is secretly a musical. I think
1: they should make the She-Hulk musical where She-Hulk is in court as a lawyer. I don't know if that's real. I saw a cover of She-Hulk. She-Hulk is a lawyer. Does
0: she do lawyering as the Hulk version? So... The thing about She-Hulk is that she is always really tall and green. Oh, okay. But she's, with the exception of, like, one recent run of comics, she, like, maintains her Jennifer Walters brain the whole time. So she's, like, big and powerful, but also, like, a really, like, smart and cool lawyer.
1: What a, Who's green. what a ridiculous premise. I love it so much.
0: <laughs> she's so good.
1: It's just absurd.
0: And her comics in the 80s were like, also like, kind of a comedy and a little self-aware. Like She was doing Deadpool before Deadpool. It's, wow. She
1: looks great. Tatiana Maslany is the voice. And that's all I know about she yeah, Do you know if she can sing? I do not. Honestly, if there was a musical episode of Orphan Black, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I, believe I never it.
0: finished it. Speaking of people's musical capabilities, Robert De Niro learned to play saxophone for this. Really? Yeah. Which, knowing that, I'm like, yeah, watching the movie, it looked like he was playing saxophone, but not well.
1: Yeah. I mean, what was the point of it? Because they were gonna pipe in music anyway.
0: The thing is, like, and you mentioned this earlier when you were saying De Niro looks like he's living and acting in the 70s. This is, like, peak method actor Robert De Niro. Hmm. Like, today we think of, like, De Niro in, like, Meet the Parents or the David O. Russell movies, where it's like, ah, you know, I'm going to sit on a couch and, like, you know, dispense some fatherly wisdom. And, like, if you get me standing up, I'll be in The Intern. But this is, like, coiled intensity Robert De Niro. So, yeah, of course he's going to insist on playing the saxophone.
1: Ugh, that would be so annoying on set. Can you imagine?
0: Yeah, honestly, the person who, it seems like, was most annoyed was the person whose job was to teach him the saxophone, who talked a lot about how, like, De Niro was constantly coming up to him like, all right, what about the saxophone? Like, let's get some more on that. And the guy's like, who cares? You don't need to play saxophone. He was like a 50-year veteran of MGM. They got a lot of people from like the Arthur Freed unit of the 40s to mm. come back and work on this movie to make it look like those old movies.
1: They did a good job.
0: Yeah, I love I love all the production design. I especially love, there's that scene that we're going to talk about, The like the worst proposal in the history of the world. Yes. And they're outside in the snow, and the backdrop is all just, like, flat, two-dimensional cut-out trees. And it looks so cool against this pink background.
1: They do a really good job of making gritty 70s New York look like a 40s musical.
0: Right, it's both at the same time, which is, like, a cool and exciting experiment, but it doesn't always mesh together.
1: Because, I mean, I think one thing is, one of the reasons 40s musicals are so good is because they are happy yes that is the central appeal of them that is the appeal it's honestly it's the dark knight before the dark knight where you take something that is supposed to be happy and fun then you're like i'm gonna make a dark gritty version of
0: batman yes but no i'm gonna push back on the dark knight version of it because the dark knight is a sillier movie than people give it credit for the problem is the batman versus superman Where you say, actually, all of this should be taken 100% seriously. Right. Whereas, like, The Dark Knight hinges on, like, an elaborate sequence where there are two boats with bombs on them and, like, people are voting on what to do. Like, (laughs) Nolan's movies are all much sillier than he's given credit for.
1: Yeah. It is the emblematic version of it, but it is also not the worst offender.
0: Yeah. Like, Man of Steel misses the point way more than The Dark Knight does.
1: Yeah, I think that is a better description of what I am going for. But you know, I like my Batman campy sixties—a show I've never seen. But Eartha Kit is Catwoman, and inherently
0: that makes it good. Uh, you know, you know what uh, comic book Batman debuted in? <laughs> detective Comics. Detective Comics. One? So you know what I would love to see Batman be? <laughs> a detective. A detective. Yeah. <laughs> no. Isn't the Adam West one kind of a detective? Yeah, we should do more of that. Batman should be a detective who has a giant dinosaur in his base and a giant penny. Yeah, don't forget the giant penny. (laughs) Batman has a giant penny and no one has bothered to put that in a movie.
1: Has really no one included it?
0: I have, well, okay. It's possible that it's in the Joel Schumacher ones. I have not seen those.
1: I mean, if it was going to be in any of them, it is that one.
0: It could have been in Batman Returns.
1: Yeah. A giant
0: penny. Wow. Like, imagine if Danny DeVito, like, had a plot involving a giant penny to attack Batman.
1: Would have been great. Would have been great. I don't know if it's related to the fact that his name is Alfred Pennysworth, but...
0: <laughs> I think it's not. I think it was just 50s comics.
1: Uh. All
0: right. And it, should
1: we start talking... Or should we get back on track with this movie?
0: Yeah, we should probably talk about it. Um, It was a giant financial flop. Critics... Didn't know what to do with it. A lot of them kind of said what we said, although they were harder on it than we were. You know, its biggest success was four Golden Globe nominations for Best Picture Musical or Comedy, Actress and Actor in a Musical or Comedy, and Original Song, basically all of which they lost to The Goodbye Girl. Um, and theme from New York, New York, is number 31 on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Songs list ahead of things like Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, Super Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and the theme from Shaft. And it's below Stormy Weather, Born to be Wild, Some Enchanted Evening, and The Trolley Song.
1: Eternal banger.
0: Clang, clang, clang. It's more of a clanger than a banger, if you know what I mean.
1: I hated
0: that. <laughs> we could Sorry, we can take it again. Just get it cleaner. <clears throat> it's more of a clanger than a banger, if you know what I mean.
1: Is bang, bang, bang not one of the sounds in this trolley song?
0: I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I really, I don't think it is, sadly. Alas. Alas. Uh, Number one at the box office this year was a film called Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's not a real surprise to me. Yeah. I gotta say. So I think we should probably talk about romance. Yeah. Okay. So this movie, the romance... I'm very excited to talk about because it is also extremely upsetting. So every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to help guide conversation. Will, will you take us to point number
0: one? Yeah, so point number one is it begins at a giant party on VJ Day. The tagline for this movie on its very lovely poster that just looks like a poster for a Golden Age musical and is therefore entirely misleading. The tagline is, the war was over and the world was falling in love again, which sounds like a really sweet movie. And this is not a really sweet movie. That is happy endings poster. Right. That is a tagline for a different movie. But it is nice that like this movie, it is a musical. Like it starts off with a full overture and everything. Like it's exciting. Robert De Niro's hot from the drop. And it's, as I said, VJ Day and Bobby D, Jimmy Doyle is walking through this huge, swanky party wearing an Empire State Building Hawaiian shirt. Everyone else is in uniform. Right, in uniform or, like, tails. Right. And he is just, like, trying to pick up women. Give me a number. Just get, you got a pencil or no. something? Give me All right, I have a photographic memory. Just give me a number now and I'll remember. Number.
1: No. Give me a phone number. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. I did like that all of the music in this was diegetic. Is that the one? It is the word. Ah, yes. So there are no songs in this that aren't songs being performed.
0: Yeah, which is cool. It's done really well.
1: Which is the way to do it if you're going for, you know, the more realistic version of the Golden Age musical.
0: Exactly. And it's a mix of songs that would have been around in this period, plus... New songs by Candor and Ebb, who we talked about before, because they wrote the music for Chicago.
1: Oh wow, long career on these guys. Oh wait, no, the original musical.
0: Yes, the original. Although Candor uh, is still alive, he's like ninety-four. but still around. So anyway, um, for him, <laughs> Jimmy is going around trying to pick up women. I honestly really like his move. Like it is duplicitous and therefore bad, but funny in how dedicated he is to this one move where he goes up to women, he pretends they had met, and he's like, hey, like, my family's over there, I gotta go hang out with them, but just give me your number, I promise I'm gonna call you back tomorrow.
1: It's like, we met at a party a year ago, I'd love to continue the
0: conversation. Extremely plausible, does not work. Yeah, nobody is buying it. He gets particularly persistent with Francine, who is Liza Minnelli wearing a USO uniform.
1: Looking very much like her mother.
0: Oh my gosh, incredibly so. And she's just not having it. She keeps trying to get him to leave. She says, like, you know, a gentleman would leave. And he says, yeah, but I'm not a gentleman. At which point she tells him that even a louse would go away. And that's the thing where it's like, from the drop, he's like, I'm not a great dude. And the movie will prove that he is not a great dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is self-aware. But it's not really
0: redeeming to be self-aware about how terrible you are. So she eventually gets him to leave. And he's, like, going off. He's trying the same line on other women where eventually his friend comes by and his friend's like, hey, I got this girl who I'm going to be able to bang, but I'm going to need your hotel room. And Jimmy's like, fine, sure. And the guy's like, also, I'm going to need you to occupy her friend while this is going on. And he's like, okay, fine. And they go over and wouldn't you know it, the friend is Francine.
1: Oh, what a surprise. Only in a movie, kids.
0: So they are, are bickering again. She's like, who is this annoying guy? The movie does imply that they... Maybe go and have sex that night. Yes, but it's very much a maybe. I wasn't sure. It's not 100%. The thing is, they are in the same hotel the next morning, but it's not 100% clear. Yeah. I think they probably did. Probably, but I doubt she
1: expected to
0: see him again. No, she was clearly trying to leave that morning when he then is walking through the hotel, himself trying to get out before the hotel clerk can notice him, because he's always skipping out on hotel bills and using fake names. Yeah. She then
1: calls him over, though. Well, yeah, because the
0: hotel clerk sees him and is trying to call him over. And she's like, hey, Jimmy, you come over here. So she not only then engages with him, she has also outed him as a fraud at the hotel, which is going to get him at best kicked out there and at worst, like maybe arrested.
1: It is a nice hotel. But she oh, yeah. also it, does not think that he is skipping out on the bill right. at first.
0: But when it becomes clear that like he's using fake names and stuff, she is not giving him any help.
1: No, she is not. And then he's playing the full veteran card, pretending his
0: leg is made out of wood. <laughs> Which is very funny. Like The physical comedy there is good, where he's like dropping his yeah. leg around. This character definitely did not serve.
1: I think he did, because his friend at the beginning says, Where's your uniform? And then he says, I threw it out the window.
0: Okay, that makes which sense. Which yeah,
1: also, I also see him as someone who served and then rejected it so hard that he like burned his uniform.
0: And just committed full board to the saxophone. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. So speaking of his saxophone playing, he has an audition this morning. So he hijacks, not literally, Francine's getting into a cab. He piles in behind her and insists that the cab take him to his audition instead of where she was going.
1: Right, which was home. So he's basically like, you're not doing
0: anything. Let me go do my thing. He's like, this is important. You don't have anything important going on. We're going to Brooklyn. We're going to my audition. Along the way, he's like still trying to make out with her while also insistently telling her that his audition is more important than anything she'd have going on. There are three things he's interested in. Number one, music. Number two, money. And number three, he just makes a kissing sound.
1: But she then asks basically... Gets him to swap the order around. I like when he loses
0: track of the order. Yeah, it's a testament to the fact that Jimmy is not always the smartest dude. No, that is one way to say it. (laughs) But he's good at music. Which he kind of gets the show off because he gets to his audition and he's auditioning. He's like playing his saxophone, doing a great time. But he's playing his like cool new swinging saxophone. And the guy who runs the club is not that into it because he needs the... Casual music that can go along with the, you know, jazz standards that are going to be playing in this club. He doesn't need a powerhouse saxophone to overtake everything.
1: And this is not the nicest club either.
0: No, it is not. Which also tells us something about the fact that as intense as he is, he is not that much of a success. And he's clearly going to be either walk out or just not get it. It's unclear which direction. Yeah, because he's also fighting the guy. But Francine saves him. By She just starts singing You have brought a new kind of love to me So then he can start playing along And the club manager is like Oh, he can do what I need to do If he just chills out and does it
1: Right, and then says Great, you're a boy-girl act Be here tomorrow If the nightgales could sing like you They'd sing much sweeter than they do Cause he brought a new kind of love To me play the sand man
0: me dreams of you. I
1: thought dream my whole life
0: Cause you a new kind of to me. Uh, Which takes us to point number two, this like New York flirtationship between the two of them.
1: Yeah, so it's not very official, it seems.
0: No, they're, like, making out, and obviously they're performing together, but it's all kept kind of hazy, exactly what their relationship is. Yes. Even to them. Right.
1: Until everything changes when her agent gets her a new gig.
0: I love the actor who plays her agent. I think he's great.
1: Me too. I like that he's a nice agent as well.
0: Yeah, he's just like, look, you should do what you need to do. I don't care or want to know anything about your personal business
1: right but he also tries very hard to make her a success throughout the movie i don't know i'm so used to seeing in you know these you think kinds about, like, of movies the agent the in the sh-
0: 2018 star is born right the shady agent
1: but in this he's just what probably an agent is more like in real life which is someone who cares about the success of their client
0: but also like has other stuff going on and isn't around all the time yes Um, Before she gets the call from her agent There is just one of the funniest sequences In this movie And also reflective of how Just every moment is kind of beaten into the ground Which is that like rainy cab kiss Where Oh right She's getting out of the cab Jimmy is grabbing her trying to kiss her And it just goes on for so long She's like splashing around In this like ankle deep rainwater. She like will climb up into the cab a little bit So that she's not standing there he like keeps making out with her. she'll like try trying to back away, step out of the cab. He'll grab her again. She's splashing out in the rain. It is like very funny how many different physical arrangements they managed to find in that same sequence.
1: It is very funny, and it goes on for so it's long. so long. And the cab driver is killing it. His exasperated look is so good. so
0: eventually she's able to get in and she gets the call that she's gotten this gig with a touring band, so she will be. Leaving the city the next morning.
1: You're all my lucky charms.
0: I'm lucky in your arms. You open heaven's portal here on earth for this poor mortal. You are my lucky, lucky star.
1: And she does not really tell him that she's leaving.
0: Well, she tries to. She runs after the cab, because the thing is, like, he came in and tried to, like, follow her into her building. Like, she lives in a hotel, and he was going to do his usual stuff, and she was like, no, Jimmy, don't do this. If you pull your crap, I might get thrown out of this hotel, too. So she convinces him to leave, and she's like, we'll meet up tomorrow and work on new songs for our act. And so he gets in the cab and leaves. Then she answers the phone and is like, you're going on the road tomorrow. She tries to chase after the cab, but he's already gone. And... I would believe he doesn't have a phone.
1: Yeah. Do you ever think about the fact that we're always contactable, and that's just, like, not how humans are made to be? Yeah, it's deeply weird. Yes. Yeah, so she leaves.
0: <laughs> yeah, so she she just goes. And the next night, her agent meets up with Jimmy at a club and is like, hey, she asked me to give you this letter. And her letter is like, I'm going on the road with this band, with uh, Frankie Hart. If you track us down, then you can probably get a job in the band. But, like, even that, like, the letter is, like, pretty cautious, where it's, like, if you get here, you can maybe get a job. Like, she is not promising him anything. It kind of seems like she maybe wants him to follow, but can't actually tell him to or promise him much.
1: Yeah. We talk a lot about how bad Jimmy is. Francine's not exactly a good person either. She's not a person I would want to date by any means.
0: No. She's the better of the two.
1: Yes. By a, a mile. By a mile, but she is also pretty hot headed and temperamental.
0: Yeah. There's a nice montage as he does go after her, the lucky star sequence, and he eventually gets there. He, like, walks in during a show and immediately tries to haul her off stage to talk to her. Because Jimmy has no chill, and, like, whatever he wants to do is what needs to be done immediately.
1: He is, like, the most selfish person in a movie I have
0: seen in a long time. Right, like, he demands that the show stop so that he can talk to her. And he's like, you don't leave me, I leave you! And the fun thing is, for me, they're
1: in Asheville.
0: Yeah, I thought of it. city
1: you don't hear shouted out in movies very often.
0: Especially movies from the 70s. Right. I do love that, um, you know, he's going on, he has this whole thing where when he talked about the three things that he's interested in music money and um, he was talking about how like when you get all three together, that's a major chord. And like, as a musician, what you're going for is a major chord. It's when everything fits together. So he's giving her this whole speech in front of these, this gorgeous, like 2d backdrop about how, like, didn't you understand that when I said major chord, I meant it about you, which is (laughs) all right. That was the day after you met her. But then he gives, like, the greatest profession of love in the history of film. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to tell you that I love you. I mean, I dig you. I like you. And he just, like, rolls it back bit by bit in, like, a minute of talking.
1: It's so ridiculous.
0: He just keeps committing to a lower and lower confession.
1: This man is awful. It's, it is quite funny, though. It is. And then, I mean, essentially, he joins the
0: band. Yeah, he successfully joins the band And that takes us to point number three Which is just their tumultuous romance on the road Right, so they're traveling They
1: basically live together They are fighting Because fighting. they are
0: always bouncing back and forth They are performing And Jimmy is being recognized Like he's getting to do a bunch of solos And taking on a leadership role in the band Blue moon.
1: You saw me standing alone Without a dream in my heart. Without a love of my own. Glimmer, you knew just what I was there for.
0: You heard me saying a prayer for. Someone I really could care for.
1: Yeah, he is he is recognized for his talent in this band for... One of the first times in the movie.
0: And on top of that, he and Francine are still writing songs together. Uh, They are working on the song that becomes New York, New York. And the original plan was like she, because she had written poetry, she'd write the lyrics. He would write the music. She had never shown him his poetry before. He'd asked occasionally. And the first night he sees some of her poetry, he like grabs her, hauls her out of the place and anytime physically dragging her in her nightgown. Right. Anytime any of this happens, like, there's the danger of it because you're like, Jimmy is a loose cannon and you never know if he's, like, decided to feel something really passionately or if he's going to, like, beat her up. Yeah, you never know if he's happy or angry. Right. And to be clear, he never does, like, beat her up in the movie. But you always feel like it's a step away. Right. And in this case, he hauls her out and... <laughs> Halves her up to, like, bang on the door of a justice of the peace in the middle of the night in the snow.
1: I laughed so hard when he lightly tapped the glass and it fell <laughs> and through. It broke. Because he's, like, so passionate and angry all the time. So you'd expect him to have, like, banged on the glass and that's why it broke. No, he taps, like, very normally. To knock, and it just shatters.
0: That's one where I wonder if it was deliberate.
1: It's very possible that he just knocked and the glass shattered, and then they rolled with it.
0: Yeah. There's a a fun exchange then, too, that is also reflective of their relationship. Where Francine is thrown off, she's like, you know, I thought the proposal would be sweet. And he's like, this isn't sweet enough for you! She's like, no, I I just wanted it to be pretty. And then, like, he lies down behind the cab and starts demanding that, like, the cab drive over him.
1: A drama queen through and through.
0: Yeah, but he gives a whole speech about, like, I don't want anybody else to be with you. I love you. And they get married at this Justice of the Peace in the middle of the night.
1: And I feel like it's kind of a sign that he says, I don't want anyone else to be with you, and he does not say, I don't want to be with anyone else.
0: Correct, yes. And he says that line, the I don't want anyone else to be with you, several times in that speech. Yeah. Jimmy, we will learn, does not have a big issue with him being with other people.
1: No, no. And this kind of brings us to point four.
0: Uh in, not quite in I terms mean, the, of I mean, she like this is the high point. I feel like things start to get bad right after this. That's true. I mean, the other big change that happens is, you know, he's earning this leadership position, but she's also pushing for it with Frankie Hart, the head of the band. And she convinces Frankie that, you know, he'd been thinking about retiring that he should put Jimmy in charge of the band. So it becomes oh, the right. it becomes the Jimmy Doyle Orchestra.
1: I had the order in my head wrong. I forgot she was still there when he was band leader. But also, that is important
0: because they butt heads, right? Yeah, because like she's becoming the star within three weeks of them existing as the Jimmy Doyle Orchestra. They're being billed as Francine Evans and the Jimmy Doyle Orchestra. Like she is quickly shooting up in terms of her stardom.
1: I love a movie that recognizes Liza Minnelli's stardom. <laughs> it's a situation where. There's no expectation that she's worse than she is. Like, it's not a Beyonce and Dreamgirls situation where the movie's telling us that she's not that good.
0: Or even like Barbara in A Star is Born.
1: Yeah. Like, she is good. She hasn't been discovered. But basically, her career follows a trajectory of someone being
0: discovered for their talent. Yeah. There's a certain like Star is Born quality to this movie.
1: There is, but they both are not stars at the beginning.
0: Right. That's the big difference. But as they're coming up, as you said, they are butting heads with the band. There's this one scene where Jimmy gets in an outrageous over-the-top fight with a drummer. He's just so awful. (laughs) Yeah. And Francine calms everybody down. She's like, hey, I know it's a long day. She gives this whole speech. She's like, we're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. And then Jimmy starts counting off the band. And Liza's counting off two, and he flips out. He's like, don't you ever count off. This is my band, not your band.
1: He walks into the audience's breaking tables.
0: Yeah. Um, he is uh, prone to some uh, violence. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then she gets pregnant, and as you can imagine, it doesn't go great. <laughs> but that takes us then to point number four. She heads back to New York City because her doctor tells her, if you're constantly on the road and performing and dealing with all the stress here, it's going to be bad for the baby. Right.
1: Which, you know, makes sense. Checks out. You know what else would be bad for the baby, though? Drinking alcohol, which she <laughs> seems to be doing. She does plenty. So she goes back to New York, and they replace her in the band with Mary Kay Place. Right. Who we have also covered in Sweet Home Alabama.
0: I forgot that was her in that movie. Yeah. I, I She's good in this. I like her as Bernice a lot. Me too. Um, unfortunately for Francine, Bernice and Jimmy are clearly banging. Uh, Yeah, but she never actually finds out about that. <laughs> that is true. And so, like, he sticks with the band for a while. I, I don't think that long. And is banging Bernice then. Before, no, it but... seems pretty quickly, he hands the band over to Paul, the piano player, and follows her to New York.
1: Well, they get cut. You see their audience is shrinking without Francine. And the band loses their engagement at this hotel. And that's when he's just like, okay, I give up. And signs the band over to Paul, who's been doing the logistics of the band anyway. Seems like a good dude. Yeah, Jimmy seems to also just be bad at running a band
0: outside of the music. I do think it's like a fine arrangement to be like, you have one person who's running the music side and one person who's running the business side. Oh,
1: completely. But Jimmy seems to be actively making the business worse in some ways.
0: Yeah. Paul is played by Barry Primus, who had already done some Scorsese. He was in Boxcar Bertha, which is his Roger Corman movie. But most importantly, Jimmy goes back to New York. Where Liza,
1: or Francine, I guess, has been doing some voice work.
0: Yeah, voice work and, uh, like, backing vocals and stuff like that. So just,
1: as her agent puts it, basically, easy jobs for some spending money. Because you always need money when you have a kid on the way. Yeah. And then, unsurprisingly, Jimmy is a little angry
0: that she is successful. Yep. Because he can't handle that. Especially, like, when he gets back. Uh, Clarence Clemens offers him a job playing at the Harlem Club. So he goes up, he's playing there. It is heavily implied that he's sleeping with the singer with that band. And Liza's been like working her way up through recording. And when she gets offered a record deal, he like flips out on her quite aggressively. He go and gives a whole rant about how having a baby was her choice and she gets everything she wants. She has it easy. It's a horrible, ugly fight.
1: Oh, he's awful.
0: And again, like the movie really hitting you on the head with it. That fight is coming right as it's also telling us like, oh yeah, he's sleeping with the Harlem Club singer. Yes.
1: And I mean, Liza's being courted by the head of Decca Records. It's right. Francine is a big deal. Yeah. And he is not happy for her in the
0: slightest. And they keep having this fight over and over again where like the record executive like keeps trying to have these conversations and he keeps not being able to for a while because Jimmy keeps flipping out before they can get to it. Like, there's the night they go to see Paul's band, and Jimmy gets thrown out because he's too aggressive.
1: Oh, right. Because he's so angry that Paul has the band now. Jimmy, bad person.
0: Yeah, no good. And so finally, during the fight after her record deal, Jimmy is screaming at her, and then she goes into labor during the fight. It
1: basically, so stressful, it induces labor. It seems like a bad experience. So then she gives birth, and before oh, he, don't worry he gets mad at her for naming the kid without him yeah so he gets mad at her
0: and then before even meeting his kid he's just like goodbye yeah he's like i don't want to i don't want to meet this kid like he kind of implies like he's like i don't want to meet this kid that i'm going to disappoint i mean it is
1: he does cry and he is vulnerable and he does basically tell her that he's leaving
0: yeah he's upset that she named the kid because she named it Jimmy Jr and he's like why would you name a kid after me But then he absconds away. Yes, he just fully leaves, which takes us to point number five. Yeah, we cut what, like 10 years, would you say? I was just kind of judging by Jimmy Jr. I was thinking maybe like seven or eight.
1: I don't know how old kids are. I thought he looked 10, but I have no idea.
0: It's clearly been a substantial amount of time.
1: Right. And that is the way we are told it has been a substantial amount of time is through Jimmy Jr.
0: Yeah. They did finish the song, it's a hit as recorded by. Francine, who just along with her record, you know, thanks to her record deal, she's skyrocketing and she stars in happy endings. It's like, you know, when we talked about singing in the rain, we talked about the dream ballets in the wake of Oklahoma and how that very much became a staple of golden age musicals in the late 40s and the early 50s. And like this movie doesn't have a dream ballet. It has a dream movie musical.
1: And it's not even a dream because it is actually we are shown clips. From the perspective of Jimmy in the audience of the movie of Happy Endings, the movie musical, which is the story of an usherette getting discovered by a producer. And then we see that usherette Peggy in a movie musical inside the movie musical inside the movie musical New York, New York.
0: Next week, we're going to be talking about the women, where the main characters go to a fashion show, where there's a fashion show and a screen, and then you learn that the first several rows of the audience are also part of the fashion show, and they walk down. And seeing these two things back-to-back with these, like, multi-layered audience things, I was like, what was happening in movies? It is so good. The happy ending sequence is unbelievable. It is just, like, full blast, like, Liza doing her best kind of musical work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. I think this is one of the best
0: appreciations of how to use Liza Minnelli in a movie. Well, Scorsese appreciated how to use Liza Minnelli. <laughs> that is true. Ayo. We eventually get to, um, you know, Jimmy now has, uh, he is no longer playing. He has his own jazz club, which is called Major Chord and not Chicken on a Stick, as you might expect. And he goes to Liza's show. It's at the same club where they met back at the end of the war and they have a nice little chat after the show.
1: I just love that Liza Minnelli is basically in this scene. This is her look
0: as it is today. Right this like thing. It is has fully not... just a Liza Minnelli concert.
1: Yeah, she has not changed her look since this concert in the movie New York New York. She has her hair curls on her cheek. She is in a big red sparkly top and tight leather pants.
0: Yeah, that's when I texted you to be like, heads up, this movie just ends with Eliza Minnelli concert.
1: Yeah. So she just performs a song, and then she sees Jimmy in the audience. So, of course,
0: she sings New York, New York. Yeah. Which is the first time we hear it in full in the movie.
1: Yeah. And then they have a nice moment. He sees his son, and then he actually calls and invites her to the stage door for them to get Chinese food, and she agrees. But then she thinks better of it she and does not go. <laughs> does not go. And Which I said, you go, girl. A good call. All right, Will. So, after watching this, do you find the romance of New York, New York believable? I think basically yes. <sighs> it's yes, and I just... There needed to be. There was. He was just so awful from the beginning.
0: Right. So, like, if we bring our, like, 10 point evaluation scale into this, I think it's going to wind up like a six for me. Yeah. Like, I think it is more believable than not as an example of, especially, a mid century relationship, one that, like, there's clearly some, like, physical chemistry there. They have shared career interests. And on the other hand, though, like, like you said, he is just. Rude and obnoxious From the drop And kind of relentlessly so And there's There's no like Charming element to it Exactly And so that's what I think Keeps it lower And again Like I said at the beginning I do think that's the point Of the movie But It means that As much as it's doing like This is the realistic version Of a golden age Musical relationship It's still only so realistic
1: Yeah I think a six makes sense Do you think Jimmy or Francine Is dateable
0: Absolutely not. Neither of them. hard no. Yeah, no. Do you think they would stay together? Um, Like, do you think they are going to have any kind of meaningful relationship going forward?
1: I think the only thing they'll do is meet up to co-parent their kid.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. And frankly, even that might not happen that much.
1: Especially with her not going to the stage door for Chinese food. That's like a hard end. Right. There's no chance of anything after that. Now, Mark, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, I want to know who it would be. I can't remember his last name. Who runs the band at the Harlem Club? Uh, you're talking about Clarence Clemens?
0: Clarence Clemens. The character, is, the character is Cecil Powell, but this is the film debut of Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. He's so nice. He's also like quite good in this movie.
1: Yeah, he's very good in the movie. He's very <laughs> I like nice. Him a lot. And he plays really well.
0: Yeah, he's playing trumpet in this. Um, With the E Street Band, he was best known for playing saxophone.
1: Well, I mean, you can't have two saxophonists in the same movie.
0: Exactly. Um, I am going to go with Francine's agent. He seemed like a nice,
1: friendly, supportive guy. Who's good at his job, clearly. Yeah. Like, he is a good agent because she becomes a huge Hollywood celebrity. Right. Every move he makes dramatically advances her career. Yeah. So, do you think that this should be
0: adapted for the stage? I really don't think so. I think it is so specifically in conversation with movie musicals and that's what makes it interesting that like when you put it on stage, the artificiality of so much of the like production design, that's just what things look like on a stage and so you lose the intentionality of it. I agree.
1: This is a movie musical talking about movie musicals. It would not be a good stage musical. Like to be a stage musical, it would just be a new show.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So uh that said, I am glad we watched it. And it is the kind of thing that like if you're a person who like knows and loves a lot of those old movie musicals, like if you were riding high on Shmigadoon last summer, I think this is worth checking out.
1: Yes, I think so. If nothing else, just find the last twenty minutes of the movie <laughs> somewhere to yeah, see the eyes of Vanelli shine. All right, I think that's about it for New York. New York, a city so nice they named it twice.
0: Yeah, like I said, uh, next week we will be sticking with uh, New York stagey kind of stuff as we take a look at the largely off-screen romance of George Cukor's 1939 version of The Women. A movie with more women than you would think. Uh, 100% women, even.
1: It's 100% women, but also... It's an absurd number of speaking roles for any movie.
0: Yeah, it's a ton. <laughs> Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, The Women was a listener suggestion, so thanks for that. Oh, thank you. And
1: make sure to please rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple. It really helps new people find the
0: show. Last question, Mark. A hilarious question. Oh, what is God. the best piece of dating advice you got from New York, New York?
1: Uh, watch New York, New York and do nothing in this movie. <laughs> that is my advice. I've never felt the need to go 100% negative, but I can't find a single thing in this. I think you've gone 100%
0: negative several times. Yeah, probably. Um, for me, I am going to say, if you want to make sure someone just goes along with your proposal make sure that it is sweet and pretty because that's what causes Jimmy a problem. He's trying to get this proposal done and Francine is stuck because it's not sweet and pretty. I mean,
1: that is good advice that does come from the movie. Francine says it. They just yeah. don't
0: follow it. Well, yeah. All
1: right, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay.
0: And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about Rome.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.